Well, good evening. Again, it's good to be with you in the time around the Word of God. I've always said, as you've heard me say numerous times, that uh, I think if the Lord's going to come back, it's likely going to be on a Sunday night, and the faithful are always at church, so for eternity, you'll get to brag that when someone says, where were you when the rapture occurred, you'll stay at church. Let's turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. Verse 7. Last time we were together, we began a very exciting walk through that first scene in heaven, a scene which acquaints us with the important figures present in the court of the throne of God, and preparations are made for the pageantry, which will usher in the final week of years, uh, for time and for earth as we presently know them. We were able to get to verse 7 of chapter 5 last time, uh, so let's just do a quick overview for, uh, to help in our thinking tonight and those who were not able to be with us last time. Study of the things of the future is encouraged in the book of Revelation. We see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, uh, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep these things which are written in it, for the time is near. So understand, beloved, you're blessed because you're here. Why? Because he who reads, and you're reading it, and he who hears the words of this prophecy, and you're hearing it, and now, of course, uh, the onus is on you to uh, keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. And keeping those things, of course, is to live as if uh, you understand clearly that they will occur and that they will occur soon, as John has said, to live and pray for these things to occur, as we see Daniel do, as he understands the visions that have uh, come to him, and he prays according to God's will, for these things to be done, for the peace of Israel, for the quick return of the Messiah, for the setup of the eternal kingdom, uh, for justice to be done, for all these things to occur, uh, for the gospel to go quickly into the uttermost parts of the earth, for the full number of Gentiles to come in, and on and on and on, beloved, as you read through the scriptures, you can have your prayer life customized uh, and then really be keeping those words which are written in it. In the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, with the, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. And there is great comfort that comes from that, isn't there? Uh, that rapture which we saw gets written in between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, of Revelation. That's the passage, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, one of the main passages that speaks about the catching away of the church. And so there's very a lot of comfort there, and we live again as in light of those things. Uh, Peter said, knowing how these things will end and all that will come about, what type of men and women should we be? Uh, there it is. There's the question for you and how you connect with that, of course, is unknown to me, and how I connect with that is unknown to you, but known to the Holy Spirit. He desires very much for us to uh, be uh, living and, and uh, doing these things. Look at Revelation 5.1. I saw at the, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And as we said last time, this is apparently the deed to the earth or, or the, uh, uh, the title to the earth or the, uh, the list of things that have occurred up until that very moment uh, from creation and all of the fall and everything that occurred and all that will occur to make it right. It's all sealed up. It's God's will. 
uh, and it is all sealed, and it's likely it contains the story of the fall through sin, rise through Christ. It contains the requirements of the contract that has to be fulfilled for the earth to return to its rightful owner, and it's sealed with seven seals. And from antiquity, we know that this was done so it couldn't be broken open, that you could not break through without being discovered. Uh, it has seven seals. It's a complete document. We see that number seven talking about completeness. It's a perfect document. It doesn't need, in other words, to be modified or changed in any way, and no one who wasn't authorized was able to look at it. And this is God's will. It's his testament. It includes the disposition of the earth, and his will and testament was to give the earth to Jesus Christ, and we saw many t passages last time about that. That was the promise to his son, uh, and here is uh, the title to the earth. The Father holds it in his hand. Now look at Revelation 5.2, and I saw a strong angel, and we said last time could be Gabriel because his name means the strength of God, proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and break its seals. And that's a rhetorical question for the angel and those in heaven. They all know the answer. And they look around. No one was in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome as to open the book and, and its seven seals. And who would know better, of course, than one of the redeemed church, what it meant to be redeemed? And those are the elders speaking there, representing the church. Uh, one of the representatives of the redeemed church knows who is worthy to take the deed of the earth. And who is worthy? Well, it's the one who purchased it, the one who bought it. Jesus Christ is the one who's worthy to open the scroll. He's the only one authorized to open this document because he is named in it. It concerns him. Now look at verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, and the scars then are still visible. John can see this, but it is alive, having seven horns. That's full power, uh, the number of fullness, of course, and the, the horn is power. Uh, and seven eyes, that's perfect wisdom, perfect understanding, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, referring to and reflected by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we saw all of that. Now we have a moment uh, the world's been waiting for for a long time. Look at verse 7. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Uh, this marks the unfolding of all that's going to happen. Jesus takes the scroll. He begins the process of taking back the earth. Paradise regained everything that has happened up to this point from before Genesis 3. As we said, uh, and, and the fall of Satan and the beginning of the rebellion through all the prophets, the Ten Commandments, uh, the advent of Jesus himself and his death and his resurrection has led up to this moment. Obviously, uh, this great action causes more worship in heaven because worship is the theme of heaven and that's the ambiance of heaven. Worthy is him who sits on the throne and worthy is the lamb and all the things that we understand and we sing perhaps in some choruses that are uh, scriptural, we understand these are the ambient of heaven. They're tired of disobedience. They're walking by sight. They see God. They see Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that work through him. They know, and I can say we know, that he's worthy to rule. We have experienced sin, its power, its sorrow, its sadness, the devastation it causes to a greater or lesser extent. And we are ready now. They, in the future, of course, ready for change, uh, for the wrongs to be set right. God wins. The rebellion will be crushed. And this is what you need to be seeing in modern worship. And when you think about what worship is supposed to look like, as you look at the book of Revelation, this is some of the things that you should see. Okay, so Revelation 5, 8, uh, when he had taken the book and the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, 
each one holding a harp. Now, First Chronicles 25, 6, Psalm 32, 2 tells us that these instruments accompanied the songs of God's people. Now, Psalm 33, 2 says, Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre, sing praises to him with a harp of ten, stri ten strings. Uh, they also accompanied prophecy. First Samuel 10, 5 tells us that. Uh, so musical instruments accompanied worship. Very common uh, in the Old Testament, very common in worship. They have them now, probably as indication that all has been said will be fulfilled. And so they are lifting it up. In verse 8 it says, The golden bowl is full of incense. These were also common in Old Testament worship. Uh, the priest stood twice daily before the inner veil and burned incense, uh, symbolizing the prayers of the people rising up before God. Uh, because prayer is a part of worship, as we say many times, uh, as we uh, pa uh, pass a plate, we, uh, giving is part of worship. As we pray, we recognize we're coming in humility to God, coming in subjection to Him, uh, recognizing His authority, recognizing His uh, dominion in our life, recognizing His power, recognizing our need. All those things are part of worship. And so it says, which are the prayers of the saints. So the, the, the bowls are representative of the prayers of the saints here. Now look at verse 9. And they sang a new song. And this new song, and we see these throughout Scripture, is a result of experiencing God's redemption or power. Psalm 33.3, 3, uh, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. Psalm 96.1, you see this very common. Uh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. So new songs, uh, songs that talk about God's attributes, songs that talk about uh, what God does, songs that talk about what God has done in the past, will do in the future. These are very common. So we should have new songs in worship. We should have worship that centers around God's attributes and what God has done and reflecting on his power. One, Psalm 144.9, I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a harp of ten strings. I'll sing praises to you, saying, now look at verse 9, Revelation chapter 5, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. That's just amazing, isn't it? You have made them to be a kingdom of priests, our God, and they will reign upon the earth. I look at verse 11. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. The number, of course, is to express an amount that is beyond calculation. That's the idea. The Greek phrase for myriad can be translated innumerable, like Luke 12.1, the crowd around Jesus, and Hebrews 12.22 referring to angels. Hebrews 12.21 says, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling. Verse 22, comparing Moses' experience to that of the raptured church. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, uh, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are uh, enrolled in heaven. That's your, that's your title, by the way. Did you know that? You are of the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. When you arrive in heaven, you'll be addressed that way, according to Hebrews 12, 21. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This passage could be speaking of the same place, even the same time it could be talking about that. There's a huge number then around the throng, uh, of the throng around the throne, 
uh, and they're just calling out an innumerable amount of people, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things that in them I heard saying, every created thing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, we saw that Christ is the only one who is allowed to open the scroll. He is the approved one. So now he's going to do just that. Now remember, you know, we're talking about the, the rapture of the church. We're talking about the tribulation and the surprise of all these things and their effect on the world. You know, if we were in the tribulation, this would be a message of extremely bad news. But there will be a group of people who will uh, probably read these passages in, in this building during the tribulation time when we're uh, all gone. As so as we begin chapter 6 with the Lord beginning to unroll the scroll, realize this is bad news. Uh, for those who are left behind, this would be terrible news for them, a terrible day of the Lord. Um, this is a surprise then. All these things that have, uh, what's going on in heaven is joy, is worship, is, is uh, fulfillment, is walking by sight, is, is, uh, is rapture, if you will, just being caught up in this worship of the Lord, uh, understanding the scrolls being handed and something's going to happen to the earth. And there's this great pageantry, but all of that's all set up to explain that the earth is about to suffer some terrible things. And so we begin what is sometimes referred to then as the great and terrible day of the Lord, the tribulation period, which with the chronology that is laid out for us here, believers are not destined to go through. Now you have seven seals and each on that, uh, each one that you know, breaks open reveals another thing that's going to happen on the earth. The first seal is peace. So let's look there. First seal that's open, and it's a temporary peace. A temporary peace will occur. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw the lamb, uh, when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and one who sat on it had a bow. Uh, notice that there's no arrows there, and a crown was given him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, who is this on a white horse? Now, this is a conqueror with a bow and no arrows. He didn't have to have a war. He carried his bow, but he didn't have to use it. It's a peaceful conquering. It's a peaceful conquering. Now, remember, beloved, when you, if you think about this process and all that's going to have to happen uh, that comes up to this time, the tribulation time, uh, financial uh, ruin for people because of the large number of people taken out of the earth, uh, all the chaos that's going to occur, it won't take someone, and Daniel's very clear about this, but it won't take someone uh, conquering someone with uh, weapons. It'll take someone that has some answers, take someone that has uh, persona of bringing peace and some type of stability to the earth. That's the kind of person that the Antichrist will represent, and he will bring this to the table. So, the tribulation on earth then begins with a false peace. The Antichrist is the instrument of this false peace, and as we study after this study, the book of Daniel, we're going to see a lot of tie-ins here. You'll just be It'll be remarkable for you as you see all the connections. Now, everything really begins to focus here on Israel. They were set aside temporarily uh, during the church age. The church did not nor will ever replace Israel. As you know, we've talked about that many times. All the promises to Israel will be full, uh, fulfilled. The church isn't Israel and never has been and never will be. And once this time of the rapture occurs and the church is caught away, uh, the focus then is back on uh, the, Israel. Now, the first 69 weeks of Daniel, to, be, to illustrate this point, were all about Israel. And then, then we have the time of the church, and 
in the 78th week of Daniel. It never was about the church, these 69 and, and then this last week. We're never about the church. The church had their time to do what the Lord wanted them to do. And now we're focusing back on Israel. Now, uh, here, this conqueror, the Antichrist, begins to falsely fulfill God's promises. If you have any desire to compare this passage, you can write this in the margin near your Bible, and we're going to look at this next uh, study. But go to Daniel 9.27, where it says the very same thing. It says, He'll make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of that week, he'll put a stop to sacrifice, grain offering, and on the wing of, the abomin of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. The Lord has established all of this. This is all lined up as he has planned from the beginning. Uh, so this Antichrist makes a pact with the people of God, specifically who? This is Israel. Everyone else, uh, generally, is set up uh, in a false peace. So he's the false Christ. He bring what, brings what looks like peace, but it doesn't last very long. Now look at the second seal. It's broken open in verse 4. And another horse comes out. This one's not white. This one's red. Uh, these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, by the way. And so this is what we're reading about now. Verse 3, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So the second seal is war. The first seal is peace, false peace. second seal is war. The second seal is opened, and war breaks out. And I'm sure you can imagine, as I can, what kind of war that will be. And I remember reading about the difference between World War I and all the wars that had come before. And you remember that uh, uh, World War I, of course, uh, included uh, mechanized warfare. It included um, uh, chemical warfare and all the things and, and the carnage that was there. And uh, this difference, of course, here is going to be remarkable, even with this war. It leads us to the third seal, I think, verse 5. Now, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. In other words, weighing out or measuring out. In verse 6, And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Now, as you know, a Roman silver coin, a denarius, was the equivalent of one day's wages. It had the normal purchasing power of about eight quarts of wheat or 24 quarts of barley. So you can see the difference. The third seal is famine. And we're talking about widespread famine conditions on the earth. Food is at eight times its normal price, or the wage of that day will only be one-eighth of what it will only buy one-eighth of what it used to buy. But either way, same difference. In other words, you will work one full day to buy food that's not enough to feed one person. Verse 6 says, the reader of verse 6, and do not damage or don't touch the oil and the wine. And I think a point could be made that these foods won't be affected by the famine, but I think a better way to approach it from its context would be to understand the bare staples of oil and wine, oil used in the preparation of food, including bread, and wine used for cooking and drinking and purifying water, along with the barley and the wheat, will no longer be staples, but will become extras. These are bonuses, the oil and the wine, that need to be carefully protected. I think that's the best way to look at that in context. Don't touch the oil and the wine. Keep it, don't damage it. Keep it and carefully protect it because it's not going to be available. Now, what you have here, peace followed by war followed by famine. And wherever there, uh, the worldwide war, there's always worldwide famine. Now, I remember 
uh, a number of years ago when we went on a relief trip to Hurricane Katrina. And I, that was a localized disaster of uh, huge proportions. And of course, going inside the disaster area where they had marked off, a parallel where they had marked off with barbed wire. And before you could go down in there, you had to have a permit. And we did, and we went down and we were helping people, taking trees off houses and cleaning up homes and all that stuff. But what happened in that general area was an interruption of everything that was needed. And it was a small little, uh, uh, just a, a microcosm of, of the idea that's of what's going to occur when you have worldwide peace, then worldwide war, and then famine. And this interruption of the, of the things that would normally be part of normal life. Uh, no, no way to plant, no way to harvest, no fuel. Um, you know, the supply line was cut off. There was no way to get things in, get things out. I think you have an idea of that in, in uh, tribulation time, of course, world on a worldwide scale. So you have peace, followed by war, followed by famine, and wherever there's worldwide war, there is always a worldwide famine. Then the fourth seal comes along, and it's death. And that's the one we'll finish with this evening. What follows war and famine? But death. Verse 7, when the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, behold, and I looked, an ashen horse, that's a pale horse in Greek, that means a sickly yellow-green color, and he who sat on it had the name death, and Hades was following with him. Why? Well, he goes along killing, and Hades comes along scooping up all the dead. That's why. Verse 8, authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with the famine and with pestilence and with the wild beasts of the earth. Now, these are just overwhelming judgments, uh, with even the beasts of the earth taking part. And it would be a world that would seem like it's totally out of control. That's how the world's going to be, beloved, at the close of this age of grace, the church age. And to those who are here, to those who remain after the rapture, about a fourth of those who are still here within a very short time after the rapture will be killed. Now, beginning as we saw in Daniel with a false peace in Israel, one right after another, my question is, where will you be during this time? And as we say that often, uh, this is part of living in light of the prophecy, doing what it says. It's responding correctly. Uh, this wasn't designed for people who were born again, see. Uh, those who are born again are caught away. The Lord knows how to deal with those who are righteous. And he doesn't deal the same way as he does with those who are wicked. And so the world's going to change a lot. And I guess my prayer for you and my encouragement for you is that you not be found here, that you be found with the one who created you, doing the things that he desires for you to do and in the place he's designed for you to be. Let's, pr let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight, our time in the word. Pray that you'll bless it to our hearts. Help us to understand it. Give us wisdom to apply it. Thank you for the blessing that's already ours by hearing it and reading it. And Lord, help us to go out tomorrow morning rejuvenated in our motivation to witness for you and be lights in a dark place. And we give you praise today for you are glorious, worthy of all honor, glory, and praise and dominion and power belong to you both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.